Right, good morning everyone. You're just as unruly as our lot are. Give them five minutes to chat amongst each other and they, they take half an hour. It's great. Just to say, it's a real, it's a, it's, seriously, it's a real privilege to be able to come and share with you this morning. When I came and um, was invited to come to the laying on of hands for your elder, I just, uh, I spoke to Clive Sharp, who's the other elder in the church, and I said, ah, oh, Living Words asked me to come over, and you know, it's such an honor, it's, it's great, isn't it? We can start sort of having some real fellowship with each other and build some friendship. And so it was a real honor just to come and be with you on that day. And the presence of God, I just really sensed God's presence here. I, as I walked in, I just sensed it. And I just want to say again this morning, I've just sensed God's presence with us. Um, one of the things that um, we talk to our people about is, is learning to feel God's presence. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't want to build a theology on touchy-feely stuff. I believe that we, we live a, a, um, a faith-filled life. That's how we live our, our, our Christian life. If it's not based on faith, then it's not biblical. It has to be based and rooted in faith. And sometimes our feelings lead us astray. But I do believe that God impacts all of who we are. We're called to love the Lord our God with our heart, our soul, our mind, our body, everything, every aspect. And sometimes, and there's times where in our spirit, we feel the presence of God in our spirit, but we don't feel it emotionally. It doesn't touch our emotions. But the more we get into the Word of God and the more we understand the nature of who God is and the reality of God in our lives, the more that spiritual part of us impacts the physical part of us and the emotional part of our lives. And I just love it when, when we feel God with us as well as knowing God is there by faith. We actually feel his presence. And this morning, I've sensed, I've felt the presence of God with us as we've been worshiping. So I just wanted to share that with you. Part of the reason why I'm, I'm sharing with you this morning is because I was, when, I, when I came to the, um, the, 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 your laying on of hands for your elder, I just felt God speaking to me and, and put a picture in my, in my heart for, for you as a body. And I wanted to come back, I was given opportunity to share that, but let me just give you a brief history because it's rooted in why I'm here. I don't mean here this morning, but I mean why I'm here in Basildon. Back in 2003, um, actually back in 2002, I was at the church in Thundersley, Thundersley Congregational Church. I was there as the associate minister. And in the middle of one of our elders' meetings, the power of God just came and I suddenly said out loud and I didn't realize just how loud I was saying it until afterwards we've got to have babies in the middle of this 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 elders meeting because everything went silent <laughs> and everybody looked at me and waited for what was to come next and really that was the beginnings of us ending up coming here to Basildon we felt that God was doing something here. We felt that God was on the move. Um, both Sharon and I, we, we drove through Basildon. We, there, was, there was about four guys who felt that their heart was for Basildon. had been praying for over a year, prayer walking and just coming into Basildon, walking the, 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 the streets and, and then coming back and sharing the burden they had. And as they shared that with, with my wife, Sharon, and myself, we felt that God was stirring something, and so we ended up, we came, we drove through Basildon, 
And all I can say is I drove into Basildon and I fell in love with the place. And um, instead of the usual response, which everybody I started talking to about it, say, no, no, everybody's trying to go out of Basildon. You know, they're trying to leave Basildon, move on, find somewhere else to go. We just felt so drawn to this place. And we realized that what it was, was God has his, had his hand and does have his hand on this town. Now, my view of this place is that God wants to do something phenomenal here in Basildon that will impact our nation. And I do believe that. I believe that in my spirit, and I believe it in my, my passionately believe that God wants to do something here in Basildon that will impact the nation. And I feel it's really interesting that London looks to this part of the world, Essex, and around this part of the world to see what some of their decisions, how it's impacting. They gauge some of, of, of what they do. They, they, they poll this area. And, and Basildon, actually, you go anywhere in a country and mention the name Basildon, and everybody seems to have some idea about it. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You've been down in Cornwall talking to somebody, and they say, where do you come from? Basildon. Oh, Basildon. Yeah, that's in Essex, isn't it? You sort of think, how do you know about Basildon? You've never been down there, you know. And it just feels that, that this is a significant place. And I do feel passionately that God has ordained that this place will impact our nation. This week I was away with, um, or we had a day away with about four or five other prophetic guys from our stream of churches around this, this sort of region. Four or five of us prophetic guys, we got together and we just started sharing what we were feeling. We'd not talked before this. We started sharing what we were feeling God was saying about the nation and about our area and also about us as a group of churches, what God was doing. But one of the things that came out from all of us was, and, and the, the way I'd put it was this, that there is the smell of rain on the wind. I grew up in Africa. I was born in, in Lowestoft. I went out to Nigeria when I was about three years old and spent 20 odd years, 20, 22, 23 years growing up in Africa. And you always knew when it was going to rain long before the rain came because you could smell the rain on the air for at least 20 minutes, 30 minutes before the rain would arrive. And in, in the spiritual, it feels like that right now. One bright spark amongst us said, yes, but God's prophetic around the corner isn't necessarily tomorrow. And God's prophetic may not be tomorrow. It may be we don't know how long it's going to be. It could be. It could be tomorrow or it could be next year or it could be in the next five years or whatever. But there is a sense that God's heart is that he wants to move. I mean, if you look at our nation, it needs it. Our nation is desperate for a move of God at the moment. And I believe that God wants to do that here in Basildon. So that's why we came. We came to join the battle to join in with what God was doing here. When I first arrived, I spoke to one of the leaders in one of the other churches, and he said, what, you know, what do you think you're doing coming here? We've got churches in Basildon already. And I said, yeah, but I'm sure there's room for, 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 you know, for another one. I'm sure there's room for us to, I want to join the fight, I said. <laughs> I want to come and join in with what God's doing. And very much feel that. Now, taking all that into consideration, this is what I felt God gave me the other week when I was with you. I had a very clear, very strong picture of babies being born. And what I saw was I started out, I saw a hospital ward, a delivery ward in the hospital, and it was all nice and clean, and it was very fresh, 
and very bright, and, and there was babies being born, several babies being born, and it was all, everything was to hand, and everything was just clinical and clean. Um, and then the picture just suddenly changed, and I suddenly started seeing babies born in all sorts of strange places. There was babies being born in the car park. They were actually being born, the, 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 I, the, the picture I had was so vivid. I saw the mother giving birth in the car, and the ones helping with delivery were standing outside the car helping. And, and it was mucky and dusty and dirty. And this baby was being born. And then as I continued to look, Costa's Coffee Shop came into the picture. And suddenly I saw babies being born in Costa's Coffee Shop, of all places. And then I saw in the center of the town, and I was seeing babies getting born in the entrances to the various different shops as you're going down the town. And there was just, just a, a, an explosion of, of babies being born in all sorts of strange, mucky, dusty, non-sterile places. And as I was looking at this, I was just sort of saying, oh, what are you saying, Lord? And I just felt God wants to encourage you. Fruitfulness is on God's agenda. God wants you to expect to see new birth come. I don't know, I don't know about you. I, I know for us, we have seen people born again. We've seen a number of people get born again on our Alpha. But actually, the outcome has been quite mucky been quite difficult because people have come in with all sorts of problems and they have shaken my I've been a Christian as long as I can remember I gave my life to the Lord when I was 10 but I was brought up in a Christian home and I'll tell you some of the things that I've seen over the last five years have shaken some of my preconceived Christian ideas and I believe the word to us as a church and I'm including us because uh, you know, I, I believe God's calling his church here in Basildon to take responsibility for the town. But for, for you as well as church, I believe God's challenge is that he wants many to be born into his kingdom. He wants many babies to be born. But it's not all going to be nice and clean and clinical. It's going to get mucky and it's going to get dirty. And there's going to be problems. But in all of that, there's going to be the joy of seeing new babies the joy of new babies. And that is what I was feeling that I just needed to share with you guys. The other thought that I had, uh, that there's been a couple of other prophetic things that I've just felt this morning as I've been sort of worshiping with you, but the other thing that I, I, I had on my heart was very much, we're in a battle, church. God's called us to take the promised land, as it were. And we have to take Basildon. And I do believe that it's, it is, it, it's a battle, it's a, a, an army that we're in. No longer is church at that nice comfortable place where we come, we sit, we sing a few songs, we have a great time, we bless each other, all of that stuff is good and, and hear me right on this. I'm not knocking any of that because I love that. I love that sense of when we come together, we can bless each other and we walk out with that sense of God having met us. But church is a lot more than that. It's a battle, it's a war, and God has called us to it and to see victory. And that is what I'm, I'm, I'm sensing. I'm sensing it amongst us as a fellowship. We've had all sorts of problems, individuals having all sorts of problems in the fellowship, and they're saying, why? I'm looking to follow God. I'm looking to do what God wants me to. And all of a sudden, what's happening is problems are coming. And it's like Satan just doesn't want us to. And that's because we're called to a battle. 
but we're called to a battle that we're going to win because the smell of the rain is on the breeze and that's where we are church the smell of the rain is on the breeze and God is coming with all that in view I just want to share a few thoughts one of the things that I've been deeply challenged about recently and if you've got your Bibles can you please turn to Ephesians I just thought that reading that we had in the worship I was just yes because that was my passage yes you know I was sort of this is great thank you Lord that's it just gave me the encouragement that you know I was on the right lines here I thought it's, it's great when God does that isn't it and um, my, I actually want us to focus in on chapter 2, which is where we finished off. And I was sitting there as he was reading it. I was thinking, keep going, keep going, get into chapter 2, go on. <laughs> but um, I want to read from chapter 2, verse 4, through to the end of verse 10. And we'll come to that in just a moment. But just to say that whole passage that we read out, that first section where we started, if you look back in 1 from verse 3 down to about verse 14, I'm not sure if you know this, but that whole section of about 10, 11 verses is one long sentence. When Paul wrote it, he didn't put any punctuation in there. And it's just like Paul started talking about his Lord and suddenly the joy of it just overtook him and it just poured out of him. He just had to get it down onto the paper. And there's, I mean, even just looking at that, I just love, I love Ephesians, and I just love that, that passage of praise that just pours out from Paul. And it's just great to have that read this morning. But it's important. What I want us to just focus in on briefly this morning, and I I'm not going to do a lot of teaching on it because it's stuff that we should know as church, but I wanted to remind us of some of these things. Because I have been deeply, deeply challenged in my own life, over my own walk, over the last months. How much am I enjoying God? How much am I enjoying my walk with the Lord? How much am I enjoying church? Is it a joy or is it a bit of a chore at times? And if I'm excruciatingly honest, I'll say it's not always been a joy. I can't stand before you and say that every single day I'm enjoying this walk. I battle at times. But I've been deeply challenged by that. Enjoying God. Piper, a theologian in, in one of his books, talks about God is most glorified when we most enjoy Him. That's what it's about. It's about enjoying God. What is our relationship with Him like? How much am I rejoicing in God? And I've been taking some very long, hard looks at my own life and, and really coming before God and asking Him for forgiveness in certain areas where I know I'm missing it, but also to just pour His Spirit in. And do you know what I've discovered? The more I learn of the nature of my King, the more I enjoy Him. And that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to discover some of, again, just focus back in into some of the nature of our King. The word to us as a church at the beginning of the year was seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. What does that mean? We've got to discover who the king is and the nature of the king to truly seek first the kingdom because the nature of the kingdom will be the nature of the king. And so as we go through this briefly this morning, I want us just to be aware that what we're doing is reminding ourselves of the nature of God. 
A man dies and he goes to heaven and St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates. And Peter says to him, here's how it works. You need 1,000 points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things you've done and I'll give you a certain number of points for each thing that you've done. Pardon me, depending on how good it was. And when you reach 1,000 points, you can come on in. Okay, says the man, feeling fairly confident. Um, I've been married for 50 years to the same woman. I've never cheated on her, not even in my mind. Oh, great, says Peter. That must be worth at least two points. Two points, says the man. Okay, here's, here, this one will get you. I, um, I've lived all my life in church. I've supported it for as long as I can remember with my time and with my money and with my energy and everything. Great, says St. Peter. That's worth another point. One point, says the man. Hmm. Okay, how about this then? He says, I started a soup kitchen in my town. I worked in the shelter for the homeless twice a week, voluntarily. Wow, says St. Peter. That's worth another two points. Two points, says the man. This is impossible. At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. (laughs) Exactly, says St. Peter. Come on in. (laughs) The grace of God. The message that we bring the point at which we discover the nature of our King. We can only discover the nature of Jesus Christ and of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can only discover their nature because of the grace of God. If it wasn't for God's grace, we would know nothing because there is nothing about us that would be able to approach the presence of a holy God. So I want us to think about that. Let's look at Ephesians Let's start at verse 4 and read through to the end of verse 10. And maybe you know this passage well, but just try and see it afresh. Ephesians 2, 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and has seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I thought it was really good that we had that read in the message as well, because it gives it that slightly different, there's a slightly different flavor you get from the message. Some years ago at a conference, a number of influential Christian leaders got together, and they were discussing together the question, what makes Christianity unique? What is it that makes it different from all the other religions in the world? Some of them argued that Christianity is unique because um, it it teaches that God became man. Others argued against them and said, no, there are other religions that that have that in there. Another um, guy was arguing for the fact of it's about resurrection. Christianity is unique because of resurrection. And the argument was, well, other religions believe in, in, de- in the dead coming back. So that isn't necessarily 
the argument. And by the time this had gone on, the argument had become quite heated. And there was a lot of heated debate going on and raised voices, and it was getting very, very hot. And C.S. Lewis walked into this meeting. He was late for it, and he actually walked into the meeting. And C.S. Lewis, a great defender of the faith, if you've ever read any of his stuff, um, absolutely brilliant uh, theologian in, in many ways. He came in and he said, what's all the ruckus about? You know, what's going on? Why is everybody getting heated and hot under the collar? And somebody turned to him and explained what the argument was about. And immediately he said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. That's what makes Christianity different. And it is. We do not work our passage. We do not earn our salvation. It is the grace of God. But the problem is that grace is a really hard concept for many people to come to terms with. And actually the problem is that that even, in some cases, creeps into the church. Grace is a tough thing to come to terms with because it means that I can't do it myself anymore. You may or may not be aware, but did you know that the most asked for song at funerals is... I did it my way. The most, I, was, I actually took a funeral not so long ago. Somebody in the church whose father had died, who wasn't a Christian, and she actually said, can we sing, I did it my way, please? <laughs> and I thought, great, you're just sticking with the, the thing. But do you know what? That is so true of the nature of our society. I did it my way. How many of you have been watching The Apprentice? Oh, you good holy lot. There's only one or two of you. I love that show. That show is just so good. It's so painful sometimes to watch it, I must admit. But I don't like the attitudes that I see in that show. I I must be honest with you. It is such an expose of the nature of the society in which we live. You look at the way that they're supposed to be working as teams, and all they're doing is looking to shaft the other person. Anything they can do to leave the guy who's leading it high and dry so that they're safe. And I don't know if you saw this last one, but there was an Essex boy on there, and they they dumped him, and I thought, he actually seemed to be quite a nice guy, you know. And at one point he'd said, you know, if I've got to stab somebody in the back to win this competition, I don't want to know. And I just thought, that is, you know, I thought, yeah, Alan Sugar, he's not looking for the nice guy, is he? He's looking for somebody who can really be tough in business. He's looking for somebody who will climb on somebody else, who will do it their way, basically. Now, isn't that the nature of the society in which we live? You know, the problem that we have is that as Christians, our value system is so opposed to the value system of the world. We live by grace. We're saved by grace, and we live by grace. That means not only do we receive the grace of God into our lives, and I'll come on to that in just a moment, what I mean by that, but we also live out the grace of God in our lives. We have grace with one another. Whereas the world says, no, if you're weaker than me, I'll climb on you, because it gets me a little further up the ladder. And there are very few people out there who don't do that. I met one the other day, non-Christian guy, and we got talking seemed a very nice guy. But the problem was, he, he wasn't doing a particularly powerful job. And the reason was, he wasn't prepared to climb on people to push himself up the ladder. That's the nature of the society in which we live. 
So what do we mean then by grace? What is the nature of the message that we are bringing into this society? What is it, that the message that God has given us, that will see Basildon changed and see a new day come, which I believe will happen? Matthew 28, 18 onwards, that great commission in there that says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and all the rest of it. If you look at that really carefully, that the tense there in the Greek can also mean as you are going, as you go into the world, preach the gospel, preach the word of God, baptizing them and teaching them to be my disciples. So what is it we're bringing? What is that message? We're bringing the message that we see in this passage, Ephesians 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace that you have been saved and God has raised up, and, and God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's the message we bring, saved by grace through faith. Just a few points on that, those, those three verses then. First of all, it involves, grace involves the great love of God. Everything hangs on the love of God. God is love. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever should believe on him should not perish but have eternal life. There you go, King James coming out there because that's what I grew up on. That's the God that we worship. That's when we start understanding the nature of our God, it changes everything. Why has God allowed this to happen to me? Do you know what one of the most asked questions that I have experienced in my life is why does God allow that? How can a loving God, boom, boom, boom? The truth is that even amongst us as Christians, we often say, how can God allow that to happen? But if we truly believe that God is a loving God, we may not understand, but we trust. Why? Because we know the nature of our God. Because of the great love of God, everything else flows from his love. He sent his son because of his love. His grace flows towards us because of his love. But then he goes on to say that it also involves the rich mercy. God who is rich in mercy. God poured his mercy. You know, God, God owes us nothing. Bottom line, God doesn't need me. I've heard people saying, God needs you. He needs you to be his hands and his ears and his eyes on the earth. Rubbish. God can do it. He's God. He created the earth. He created the universe. I believe he created in seven day, or six days and rested on the seventh. The power of God made all this. I believe the very fact that my atoms are holding together at this moment in time, and you can even see me, is because God has ordained that to be. And if God so ordained that it wasn't to be, I would disappear as if I had never been. This table is more nothing than it is something. Did you know that? The fact that I can't put my hand through it is all down to the atoms pulling against each other and all the rest of it. But there is more nothing here than there is something. That must be a miracle in itself. God owes us nothing. There is nothing about me that makes God want to love me. Hey, that sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? If there was something about me that made God want to love me, do you know what? That would make me so insecure. Because I'd be terrified I could lose it. But the grace of God says that God loves me 
Because God loves me. Because God loves me. Because God's love, God loves me. Because of his great mercy. Nothing to do with me. I didn't earn it. I'm not particularly lovable. I know I can be pretty grouchy when I want to be. But God still loved me. And God sent his son to die for me. That's the message of grace. That means we can bring the message of grace to anyone. That's where it starts to get messy. You see, it's not all about the nice, clean delivery room in the hospital where we've got nice, clean people who've got their lives sorted, they know where they're going, and all they need to know is that God loves them and they'll give their lives to God. We're talking about people that cause us very real problems. How do we respond to homosexuals? How do we respond to murderers and thieves? Or how about the biggie at the moment? How do we respond to pedophiles? Are we going to say that a pedophile can never get born again? Are we going to limit God? I tell you, that's messy. It's very messy because what do you do in the church if you get a pedophile that's truly born again of God and they've got a, a criminal record behind them and you've got children in the church? We have a big problem, church. But can we turn around and say, I'm sorry, the mercy of God doesn't reach to you guys? I think as church we do have to face some of these issues. I've got friends who have faced some of these issues. I've got a friend who's got a run uh, as a church down in Ilford, and he's actually had a pedophile that got born again, joined the church, very opened about what had happened in the past, had truly met God, was born again, and was truly changed, but obviously had a problem. And in the end, the guy had to leave the church because there was so much issue, not because the pastor and leaders asked him to, to leave, but just because of the problems with the rest of the church. Very, very difficult situation. Because this is what we mean by people getting born in all sorts of difficult and, and mucky and strange places. But if God has ordained that the Spirit of God is going to fall on this town, it's going to change the nature of Basildon from a place where people try and leave to the place where it's said God is active amongst his people. If that is what's going to happen, if the, the very tone and nature of our town is going to be impacted by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit moving and ministering amongst his people, we're going to see all sorts of strange things happen. And we're going to have to deal with this stuff. And I believe God will give us the grace and the ability to. Because if God is going to bring people into his kingdom, he wants to get us ready to receive them. We're talking about the grace of God. Not only do we see the grace of God involving the love of God and the mercy of God, but also it goes on to say being made alive together. You see, the grace of God gives us the power to live for Christ today. God sends his Holy Spirit to live in us, teaching us and giving us the power to live. Not just so that we can have a good time on Sunday, not just so that... I'd, actually, I didn't know that we'd missed the key there. I was starting singing in tongues. I thought we'd just gone off earlier on in the worship when we had that. I was just happy to carry on singing in tongues there. I thought, wow, we're really good. That's great. And then suddenly I realized it was the, the different keys. But it's not just for that, although it is, and I must say I love that. 
I love it when God breaks into a meeting, prophetic happens, singing in tongues, prophetic songs, scriptures being read, all that sort of stuff. That I think is so beautiful and I, I, love, I, live, I do live for that in the church. But actually the Spirit of God living in us gives us the ability to live in the world today as well. And to deal with these mucky situations that we were talking about a moment ago. The grace of God. The grace of God involves being made alive together with Christ. Right now. And then finally moving on in, uh, in the last part of this bit. It talks about being raised up together. Not only do we have the power. Not only is it the love of God that was poured out upon us. Not only do we not have any control over God. God God's grace meant that he poured his love on us just because of his great mercy. Not only is it that we have the power to live our lives for Christ today but we also have a destiny and we have a future. That's the message that we're bringing. And you know, there are so many people around us who have no future or destiny. They live day to day, they deal with the daily problems and grind of life, and you ask them what their vision is or what the destiny is just to get through, just to have enough money to get through to the end of the week. And again, the, the danger is that it even creeps into amongst us as church. What is our vision? What is our destiny? Well, I just want to get through to next Sunday. Just want to make sure that we've got 30 there on Sunday instead of 20. Just want to make sure that actually I've got enough songs for, the, for worship on Sunday morning. You know, um, for me, I've just got to make sure that I've got the word. What, what am I going to preach? I'm saying, oh, crumbs, I've got to get into the word again. And the Lord is saying, I want you to enjoy me. I want you to know my nature. I want you to know my personality. I want you to understand who I am. I am the God who loves you because I love you. I want you to be excited by that. I want you to have a vision that goes beyond what's going to happen tomorrow. Two pictures I, I felt the Lord just gave me earlier on in the meeting. One of them was of a field. I saw this field. It was, it was first of all, it started out brown. And as I watched, I saw little shoots coming up. And it, it, it turned green. You know that lovely green haze you see? Have you noticed it on the trees recently as well as we're coming? I love that time of year where you see this sort of hazy green on the trees. It's just starting to pop out. And it was like that. It was, and then as I watched, I saw the field grow. And it grew into a, a, a rape field. It was a, a, a field full of, of, of rapeseed. And um, as it grew, it was beautiful yellow. It came into to bloom, beautiful yellow. And then as I was watching, I saw these tracks running through the field. And I thought, what a shame. There's all these sort of tractor tracks running through the field, breaking it up. And I just felt the Lord say to me, no, that's, that's fine. See, the problem is that we look at life and we think, why do things go wrong? Maybe as a church, we, we say, because I, I, I just feel God, in that, I just felt God was wanting to encourage you as church again and say, fruitfulness is coming. There's a, a harvest for you guys to, to, to reap in and, and the time is coming. And there's been tough times. There are tracks in the field where the tractor has gone. And you think, what a shame, nothing's happened there. Nothing happened at that meeting or nothing's happened here. And God has said, yes, but the reason the tracks are there is because the tractor has been fertilizing and, and doing all the stuff that it needs to do. And so God allows stuff to happen in our lives. God allows stuff to happen in the church that sometimes we turn around and we say, that just doesn't seem right. 
and yet it's in God's plan and purpose. Do you know what the scripture says? All things are worked together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purposes. Are you called according to his purposes? Do you love God? Therefore, all things are being worked together for good. All things. And the other thing that I discovered recently was actually I am what I am because of where I have come from and what I have been through. And it makes me the person that I am today. And do you know what's awesome about that? That's exactly what God wants. He wants to use me. Doesn't mean I won't change. And it doesn't mean I'm not on a journey and, I'm God, I've, and that I haven't. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that there's nothing in me that needs to change because it's not pleasing to God. That's not what I'm saying. But at this moment in time, God has taken me. Why? Because I believe that scripture that says all things are worked together for good those who love God and are called according to his purposes. I love God and I know the calling of God on my life. Therefore, what I am today is what I am for what God wants to use me for. He will change me. He will use me and take me on and and change my life and my attitudes and those things there that need to be changed. But I don't need to regret where God has brought me. Those tracks are in the field because God was using the tractor to fertilize the field. And the other thing was this, very briefly, and with this we'll finish. The other thing was this. I saw somebody learning to play football. And I I had a sense that the first picture I had, the sense I had for that was very much that it was for the the church as a whole. This one I felt was more for an, an... an individual or maybe one or two individuals. This person was learning to play football and what they'd done is they'd gone down to the library and they pulled all the books they could find on football out of the library and they had read through them all and they'd learnt what all the various different things meant, all the rules, offside rule. I mean, everybody seems to say they don't know what that means. I don't know what it means anyway because I don't like football particularly. To be honest, I never watch football. I'd rather play something else. <laughs> but the point in this is that They'd gone, they'd done all the hard work, they'd read about how you tackle, how you dribble, they'd read about controlling the ball and all the rest of it, they'd read all the books, they just hadn't done it. And there was a sense in which God was saying, now you need to go and do it. You know the theory, now go and put it into practice. And as I was, I was thinking about this, I was just sensing that there is a sense in which God will take you into the practice of the theory that you have been studying and you will make some mistakes because your body has not learnt how to control what your mind knows. And in the spiritual, I believe God is saying the same thing, that there's been lots of learning and God wants to take you into the practical of what you have learnt. And there will be some mistakes, but don't worry because that's how you're going to learn. And actually, all the theory is going to come into use as you start to develop that. Now, I'll just share that with you. Please weigh that. Don't just take it because I'm a visiting speaker and I'm here or whatever and I'm giving it to you. Please weigh that before God and see what God is saying into your heart on that. But the big thing that I feel that God is really wanting to do with us as church is just encourage us. He's on the move. He's going to do stuff. And we need to know that. We need to know our Lord. We need to understand the nature of our King, our Sovereign. I've got loads more to preach on on this. 
but I just feel it's, it's right now to finish there. The challenge I felt in all of this was what is our confession? What is our confession of faith? I've got a whole lot to, to do on faith with this. Wonderful illustration of pendulums and all the rest of it for faith. But there is a difference between living by belief and living by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And um, I will I have to finish with this, but I'll just say this last little bit. An illustration that I found really helpful. Somebody, one of the commentators I was reading on this actually said, faith is a little bit like, you know when you want to go and water the garden and you plug the hose pipe into the tap and then you water the plants. The hose pipe brings the life-giving water to those plants. Faith is a little bit like that. As we step into faith, it brings the grace of God into our lives. Now, don't, we don't take you know, um, analogies too far, but it does bring God's grace. It helps to bring the grace of God into our lives and helps to live grace-filled lives. We have a wonderful message for a world that needs it desperately. And God wants us to have babies. So let's allow that to just sink into our hearts.